while back, I began a sermon by sharing with you examples of people who have missed the point. Have you ever missed the point on something? I was reading an article just this last week with uh, pictures provided of uh, those who had missed the point, some people who had missed the point. I don't have the pictures to share with you, but I can explain them to you. One was a lady in a convertible with the top down, but an umbrella over her head to uh, guard herself from the sun, kind of defeats the purpose, right, of having the top down and having a convertible. Um, another was uh, an owner of a treadmill who was hanging clothes off the treadmill. Maybe some of y'all have seen that. I would say that's missing the, the point of, of that machine. Uh, another was one you could probably understand and relate to. It was a picture of a guy who had pulled in with his car at the ATM and then got out of his car to use the ATM. Uh, those of you all know, you got to get in just right or you'll be hanging halfway out the window to try to get your money from the ATM machine. So we understand that, but it kind of defeats the purpose of a drive through and uh, then many of you have probably seen uh, pics posted of people with masks, with holes cut out so that they can breathe and talk easier. Again, defeats the purpose there, right? Missing the point. You know who else missed the point? The religious leaders in Jesus's day. We're going to talk about that today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 13. Continuing our study through Luke in a series I've entitled Jesus, the Savior of the World. We're going to be looking at 10 through 17, and, and we're, we're going to be looking at uh, one of the many encounters that Jesus has with religious leaders on the issue of the Sabbath. Over and over again in the gospel accounts, we read of Jesus and his disciples being criticized due to their activity on the Sabbath day. Now, before we, we dive in to this text of, of Scripture, we need to know a little bit more about this, this practice and what it really had become in Jesus' day. That will help us looking at this text today. The command to keep the Sabbath day is number four. On the Big Ten, it was given by God after he delivered his people by the hand of Moses out of Egyptian bondage. And I know many of you are familiar with that story. He delivered them out with great signs and wonders and great acts of judgment against the Egyptians. And as God's people followed him. He, he gave his people commands for them to live by as a nation with him as their head. One of these commands was for them to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word remember tells us something, tells us that they were to recall something. There was something in their, their history that they were supposed to recall. And several chapters before the, the giving of the Ten Commandments, Jesus in Exodus chapter 16 explains to Moses how he is going to provide for his people, how he's going to provide food for them. I know many of y'all are familiar with this. He provided them manna, right? 
from heaven and water from the rock. And he, he tells his people that for five days they're to go out and just collect enough manna for that day. Don't collect more than that, just enough for that day. And then on the, the sixth day, they would go out and they would collect twice as much because on the seventh day, God wanted his people to rest, to, to relax, to cease, to spend that time reflecting on God's great provisions for them, giving them the ability to labor, to provide for their family and for the, the blessings that, that he had provided. So on the seventh day, on a Saturday, God wanted his people to, to rest and enjoy him, enjoy the blessings that he had provided them. It was a day of rest, which would have been a, a wonderful blessing for a nation of slaves. They didn't have those breaks while they were in Egypt. It was meant to be a day of worship. And this set them apart from the nations surrounding them. Now we take two days, Saturday and Sunday. I know some work on Saturday, some on Sunday, but, but for, for a lot of us, we have those days off. But, but at that time, in that day, the nations didn't do that. They worked every day. And they relied upon themselves. They thought it was in their own strength that they were making these provisions. But God's people were to cease to, to focus on the God who had provided all the one true God of, of the scripture. So it, it, it set them apart. God tells his people, I want you to Sabbath, the Hebrew word Shabbat, to cease. Six days of labor and then Shabbat, break from your labor. It was meant to be a blessing and not a burden. Well, for those of you all who have read the book, you know that God's people Israel did not do a good job of, of observing the Sabbath. They didn't do a good job of, of ceasing from their labor, and they certainly didn't do a good job of worshiping the one true and living God. They wanted to be like the nation surrounding them, so they went after other gods like them. And, and, and so God sent prophets to his people to warn them and to call for them to turn from their sinfulness and turn back toward the Lord. But they did not listen to those prophets, so eventually God sent judgment. He sent judgment to those in the northern kingdom first in the form of the Assyrians. And then he sent judgment to his people in the, north, in the southern kingdom by way of the Babylonians. And they were in captivity for 70 years. And when his, his people returned from captivity, they were sort of like a, a child who had burned his or her hand on the stove. Not wanting to do that again. They did not want to break God's laws again. So to keep people from breaking God's laws, what they did was they put laws around God's laws. So they begin to add laws to God's laws to protect them from, from breaking his commands. And some of you, you're, you're hearing that and you're thinking, well, what's, what's wrong with that? That's not such a bad idea. They're just trying to be careful. Well, here's the problem. When you put laws around God's laws, those laws become legalistic in practice and they, they lose their, their meaning and the spiritual benefit of those laws. And that had happened by Jesus' time. 
The Sabbath had lost its original meaning to the one observing the practice, and they were missing the point. These laws built around God's laws really get out of hand to such an extent that there was an entire book of rabbinic teaching on what they were to do and not to do on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were very particular, very meticulous in their outward keeping of these extra biblical rabbinic teachings. And that really sets the stage for our story today. And one more thing before we, we get into this, there are several different views concerning the Sabbath and how the Sabbath is to be kept. And I have provided for you, if you want to take it with you, a uh, position paper that I've put together on the Sabbath and the different views of the Sabbath. Uh, there are some who believe that we still are to be observing the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week on, on a Saturday. And, and so that, that practice never ceased. So they view us as being, a lot of them view us as being in sin for meeting on Sunday. There are others who believe that the Sabbath day was moved to the Lord's day, which is today. And so Sundays, the first day of the week, are to be kept like the Jewish people kept the seventh day of the week in the Old Testament. So, so they affirm that. And then there is another group that believe that Sabbath rest is, is achieved and, and accomplished by Christ. And the application for us today is we are to cease from our labors to take time to rest and, and acknowledge the Lord's great provision and worship. And we're to worship him both, both publicly and privately, individually and corporately. Okay, but but there's no specific day that's an obligation to be to be kept in this way today. And so I've got those views laid out for you in that position paper. Take it with you. Read it. Talk to me about it if you want to. All right. We don't have time to go into that today, but I share that with you because today, while I'm not going to be arguing that the Lord's Day is the new Sabbath day and is to be viewed as being identical to and observed exactly like the Jewish people did in the Old Testament on Saturday, I do believe there is application to be made here by us today when we look at Jesus' teaching on what the Sabbath should be. So I'm going to be making application Jesus is instructing his Jewish audience on, on what they had missed, how they had missed the point, and what the Sabbath day was to be. And I believe there's, there's great application for us to make today, okay? So we're going to do that. But take a paper with you. Check it out if you would like it. Three things I want you to see in this passage of Scripture about the Sabbath. I want you to see the incorrect response of, of the uh, religious leader on the Sabbath, the correct lesson Jesus gives about the Sabbath and the proper response of the people on the Sabbath. Notice first, point number one, the incorrect response of the religious leader on the Sabbath. Look at verses 10 through 14 of Luke 13. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over 
said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Wow. Talk about missing the point, right? This guy had. This story takes place on the Sabbath. We're not told which one. We're not told where exactly. We can assume it takes place sometime after Jesus' sermon that he delivered that we have recorded for for us in Luke chapter 12 in the first part of of verse 13. He and his disciples, they're, they're traveling to Jerusalem and Jesus goes into a synagogue on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, to teach. This is the last time, by the way, that Luke records for us Jesus ministering in a synagogue. Synagogues were Jewish centers for teaching. The word means meeting place. There were many. While the the temple was the place where God's people gathered for annual and, and national ceremonies and for the offering of sacrifices, the synagogues were places where they met weekly for instruction from the Word of God, the Old Testament at this time. They, they came into existence during the time of Babylonian captivity. The sinners were formed because God's people were displaced. They couldn't gather at the temple. And the prophets were were the ones who who frequented these sinners to preach God's word to God's people. They were run by a, a lay board of elders. And one of them served as the chairman of that board, the chief leader of the board. Of, and, and synagogues were places where rabbis like teachers like Jesus and later the apostle Paul would have had a spot reserved to then go in and teach for a time. And they did that until they fell out of favor with the leaders in the synagogues, which sometimes happen pretty quickly. It happens quickly for Jesus here. He goes into one of the synagogues. We're told he's teaching. And behold, he spots a woman. This woman has a disabling spirit. She's had it for 18 years. We're told later in the text that Satan has bound this woman. Her issue is not that she's having back troubles in her old age. Her problem is a spiritual problem we learn here. Satan has crippled this woman. He has her physically bound up and bent over. We see a number of times in the Gospel of Luke, demon manifestation in a number of different ways. At times, demons are are speaking through the one they're possessing, calling out, crying out to Jesus. Other times they they display superhuman strength. We see that with the Gerasene demoniac. Um, We we learn in Luke chapter 9 of a man's only son who's demon-possessed. And we learn in Matthew's account of his story that this demon is throwing this man down into water and into fire. 
In Luke chapter 11, we learn of a, a demon who is keeping a man from speaking. Here we're told Satan is keeping a woman bound up spiritually, not for a short time, for 18 years. Can you imagine? Jesus sees her. He calls out to her. Woman, you are freed from your disability. He, he laid hands on her and immediately this woman was made straight. Now, folks, that right there is a miracle. Praise God. This woman did. She praised God. Look at the end of verse 13. And she glorified God. Don't you love that? That is the proper response to a miracle, by the way. Luke highlights this for us again and again. Jesus undoes in, in one moment what could not be undone in 18 years prior. Satan has this woman bent down and bound up and immediately Jesus enters the scene and he binds Satan by laying hands on this woman and he straightens her out both physically and spiritually. And the reason we know she's straightened out spiritually again is because she praises God for this marvelous and miraculous work. Jesus gives those in the synagogue on this day a glimpse into the work that he came to do. He came and he ushered in God's kingdom. He came to heal and restore. He came to break the powers of sin and darkness and the bonds and the rule and the power of Satan. He came to straighten out that which is crooked that includes the backs of those the devil has been riding. And he is thrown off and the glory is given to God. It's awesome, isn't it? That's what happens here. We get a, we get a glimpse into the kingdom work that Christ came to accomplish. She is freed physically and spiritually, and she gives glory to God. And again, Luke highlights this again and again in his gospel. He highlights the fact that those who have been rescued by God respond properly by giving glory to God. And we'll learn in just a moment that others do that as well as they witness the, the, the marvelous, miraculous work of Jesus here. Believers, when is the last time you took time to praise God for the miracle that he has performed in your life in saving you? We ought to be doing it daily. I love that we began with our God saves. We, we need to come together and shout that. We need to come and worship God for the marvelous work that he's doing in our hearts and lives. Every time we enter this place and we see other believers in our midst, you know what we're witnessing? Walking, talking miracles. God brings life to dead bones. We witness it every week. We ought to praise God for that marvelous work. Many got it right in this day, in, in the synagogue. The woman certainly did. But notice who missed the point. The leader of the synagogue. Let's pick up reading again at the end of, of verse 13 and into verse 14. And she glorified God, but 
the ruler of the synagogue, indignant. That word, that word in the Greek is agonateo. It means to be angry and to believe you're justified in your anger. He believed he was right to be angry at Jesus. Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. That was a no-no according to their rules. But he's wrong, right? We're reminded here that you can be sincere and be wrong. Do you know that? You can be sincerely wrong. We hear a lot of people talk today about my truth. Well, my truth is this, my truth. You can be wrong in your truth. You can be sincerely wrong. This man was. He thought he was right in the way he believed. And, and notice he said to the people, now sometimes they direct their words directly at Jesus, but instead this guy just takes the mic away from Jesus in the synagogue and he speaks to the crowd. He says, now listen here. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed and not on the Sabbath day. In this day, the religious leaders added a law onto God's law about the Sabbath and said that only in a life or death situation can one exert the effort to save the life of another on the Sabbath. The religious leader here is, is meeting the letter of the law here. This is not a, a life or death situation. This crippled woman would be crippled on Monday. Come back on that day to be healed. Remain for the weekend, bound up, twist around and bent over by Satan. You could have waited till Sunday or Monday to be healed. According to him, there's six other days for, for that type of activity. This was not the day for healing. Unbelievable, right? Never has someone missed the point bigger than this guy. A great miracle had been performed in his midst, and he is worried about the day on which it happens. He's angry about this and believes he is is justified in his, his position here. Think about it. Jesus could have healed on any other day, couldn't he? But he picked the Sabbath day again and again. Why? He's teaching them, isn't he? He's teaching these followers of these blind guides how they, they have missed the purpose of the Sabbath and the blessing that it was meant to be. It was meant to be a blessing and not a burden, a glorious observance that assists God's people rather than a restricting practice that hinders them. The religious leaders had, had missed this. They, they had become so meticulous in the keeping of the ceremonial law that they were neglecting the moral commands God placed on his people to, to love their neighbor. Their commitment to proper Sabbath day action eclipsed their commitment to show loving Sabbath day compassion. They were upside down and inside out on this. Warren Wiersbe says this in his commentary on Luke. By their strict and oppressive rules, the religious leaders had turned the Sabbath day into a burden instead of a blessing God meant it to be. Some great points of application here for us believers that we learn from the, 
the mistakes of these religious leaders. One is this. You should view this day when we gather not as a burdensome obligation, but a blessed opportunity. That's important. Is gathering together with God's people on the Lord's day something you simply do just to, just to mark off your spiritual checklist or something you long for and look forward to? Is this place and gathering here and gathering for other fellowships and, and the study of God's word, is it a blessing or is it a burden? I don't think I need to tell you in here which option is right, right? I think many of you know Deep down, this time is to be special, a, a treasured time for God's people. This is the time we gather with people that we're going to be with and stand alongside for all eternity. This is the time when we gather to be redirected toward what is right and true in a world filled with wickedness and deceit. This is the time we gather to, to hear from God from his word. And allow for his spirit to work in our hearts and lives and, and move us and mold us and make us and prepare us now to be who he's called us to be and to prepare us for that day when he returns for us to live with him, with his people for all eternity. It's here in this place that we get equipped to be the believer the husband, wife, father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, friend, co-worker, student, neighbor that God has called for us to be. It's in this place where we rub shoulders with like-minded believers and sharpen one another, encourage one another, pray for one another so that we might grow alongside one another and become more like Jesus. It's in this place where we bring those who are lost and those set against God in sin for rescue. It's this place where we, we confront those who are twisted around and bound up by Satan with the truth of God's gospel message and pour into them in hopes that God miraculously changes them from the inside out and that they forsake their life of sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation and have life in him. It's in this place where we bring God glory for the marvelous and miraculous work that he's done in our lives. You ought to love this place. You ought to praise God for this place. You ought to come into this place filled with joy and with songs on your lips. If you're coming to this place to simply meet the letter of the law in your spiritual life, you're missing the point. You're missing it completely. There are some important lessons we learn from the incorrect response of the religious leader on the Sabbath day. There's also lessons we learn from Jesus that he gives here about the Sabbath. That's point number two, the lesson Jesus gives about the Sabbath. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, 
a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from his bond on the Sabbath day? Here, Jesus applies a very effective strategy that he often used in, in teaching. It's the argument from lesser to greater. He is going to argue the lesser. If A is true to the greater, how much more so should B be true? Very effective strategy. He's going to really put these guys standing against them in their place. He's going to show them how messed up their priorities are. Remember, the guy feels strongly in his rebuke of Jesus. He feels like he is in the, in the right here. Jesus responds with, you hypocrites. Talking about all the religious leaders. Does not you and, and every other religious leader in this establishment untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it to water on the Sabbath? You put all that effort into caring for your, your farm animals? And you're going to criticize me for laying hands on this crippled woman bound up physically and spiritually for 18 years to be healed? you got to be kidding me. I added that, but... <laughs> this was not just any woman. Your Jewish sister, the daughter of Abraham... Now, Jesus is not saying that bypassing Gentile women in the same condition is, is, is okay, but he's just pulling out all the reasons why their reasoning is ridiculous. He says, if you lead your beloved farm animals to water on the Sabbath, how much more so should I deliver your sister, a daughter of Abraham, from the clutches of Satan and lead her to the living water that never runs dry? It's hard to argue with that, right? We get the idea that they're pretty much silenced from that point on. What can you say to that? Robert Stein says this when summarizing Jesus' words here. He says, if bound animals were led to water on the Sabbath, how much more should this woman, bound by Satan, have been allowed to experience the refreshment of healing? Jesus really, he, he puts... This man and other enemies of his in their place. Luke says in verse 17, As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. They'd missed it. The religious leaders in this day, they had missed the purpose of the Sabbath. Remember, Jesus asked back in Luke 6, verse 9, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? Jesus asked, is it, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? Think about that question for a minute. If the Sabbath was for good, then doing good on the Sabbath cannot be bad, Right? It's very, very simple logic. I love that about Jesus' teaching. This man and many others had completely missed this. And this woman is, is healed. This leader directs those in the synagogue toward what day it is on the calendar. And he concludes, wrong day for healing, Jesus. It's not the day for that. Six other days. 
for you to do that. And he even, he even indicates here that the crippled should stay home on the Sabbath and come on another day to be healed. That's crazy. Jesus's mentality was if ever there was a time to come, if ever there was a time for this type of ministry to happen, it's on days like this when God's people are gathered. Jesus shows them it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And here's the point. When thinking about the Lord's Day and other times when God's people are gathered together for, for, for times of fellowship and for, for, for Bible study and for prayer, compassion for those in need should outweigh empty religious ritual. It's very, very important. Legalism should be squashed for the sake of love. That's the point. While it is good to have order and worship, we're told to have that. While we should have a, a plan on how these meetings go, if we're not meeting here together to love on one another and to care for one another, if our commitment is not for reaching the lost and equipping the saved for God's glory, what on earth are we doing here? What are we doing if not for that? Great commission work. Last point. Notice what happens when focus is on the right things when we gather together. True worship happens. Last point, the proper response of the people on the Sabbath. Verse 17, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. They all worshiped the Lord like crazy. We're told in verse 13, the woman glorified God. Verse 17, all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. When our focus during our time together is on loving one another, caring for one another, meeting the needs that each other has, when our focus is on reaching the lost and equipping the saved, when loved ones or when, when people are loved and cared for and when needs are met and, and when the lost come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and the saved grow in godliness, you know what should happen as a result of that? Worship. Worship. True worship. People who have been rescued from sin and death restored to a right relationship with the living God through Christ. Those who grow in godliness because of the inward work of the Spirit, they are to respond by bringing glory to the one who has done that work, the Lord God. When's the last time you took time to worship God for your salvation, for your growth in godliness? Go through the study guide this week. Monday through Friday, we provide them for you. You're going to be challenged this week to just take time to worship God for the work that he's done in your life and the work that he is doing in and through you. The people here, they rejoiced at the glorious things done by the Lord Jesus. May that be said of us. What a response. What does your response to Jesus need to be today in light of this message? Maybe you've been changed from the inside out by the Lord. 
Maybe you have benefited from the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ in that you've been forgiven of sin, you've been restored to a right relationship with God. Maybe your response needs to be spending time in worship of him this week, spending time sharing with others the marvelous work he's done in your heart and life. Maybe that's what your response needs to be. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're, you're, you're listening online and, and you have not responded to the Lord Jesus Christ today. You've not experienced the spiritual healing from him that he provided in this story to this woman. Maybe you've not been straightened out spiritually, changed from the inside out, restored to a right relationship with the living God. If not, I pray today be the day of your rescue. Today be the day of your salvation. If you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, I invite you today to forsake your sin, fall at the feet of Jesus, give your life up and over to him today. Trust in him alone for your rescue, alone for your salvation, and be saved. Let's pray together.